Hello and welcome to Midriff, the podcast about gender, music, and music gear. Uh, my name is Hillary Jones. I am your host. And I just had kind of a, a wild last week or so. Uh, I went out to beautiful Anaheim uh, for the NAM convention, which I had never been to. And I will talk all about that in a future podcast. But I met so many amazing people at this event. It was wild. Just so many, like oozing out of the woodwork. So many great people. I have also so many related interviews with folks. And I will be compiling that and sharing that out with you shortly. First, we're going to start here with an interview with a fabulous person named named Rachel Bloomberg. If you are unfamiliar with Rachel, she is a good buddy. She lives in Providence now, but uh, lived in Portland for a very, very long time. And she is a mostly known as a drummer, but she's a multi-instrumentalist. She's a teacher. She has uh, performed with a million different folks. She's recorded, toured, performed with Mira, Tara Jane O'Neill, Laura Gibson, The Decemberist, Sam Beam from Iron & Wine, Michael Hurley, Bright Eyes. And she has her own project called Arch Cape, in addition to being a fabulous visual artist as well. So just like so much to say, so many uh, good insights around her experiences related to gender and music gear and just being a musician in general. So I, I think you're really going to appreciate her conversation today. In addition, I have uh, some upcoming interviews with Ava Mendoza, Marissa Paternoster, Emily Harris from the Get Offset podcast, Reba Mitchell, Alice Bag, Audrey Z. Whitesides, Julie Robbins from Earthquaker, just a ton of great folks coming up. I really, really appreciate everyone who's already subscribed to the podcast, who has followed on Instagram or Facebook. I feel just super lucky to have so much support before this podcast has barely even started. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So with that, I'm just going to scoot right into this interview with Rachel Bloomberg. I think you're going to get a lot out of it. So thanks a lot. Rachel, welcome to Midriff. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Super psyched to be talking to you. So I wanted to just start off here a little bit with maybe you giving a little introduction, your name, your pronouns, uh, what you're up to, any fun projects that you're that you're doing right now. Okay, great. Yeah. My name is uh, Rachel Blumberg, and my pronouns are she and her. And I've been actually working on, I, I got a bunch of musicians together in Providence to do a tribute to the Magnetic Fields uh, record, 69 Love Songs. We had 29 musicians together, and it was actually a benefit show for a wonderful person who lives in Providence who's battling cancer. But just musically, it was maybe one of my favorite experiences I've had since moving to Providence. And uh, my husband, Jeffrey, and I organized the whole thing with the Columbus Theater, and we pulled in a whole bunch of Providence musicians from different walks of life. You know, some people might know Ted Leo and Jody Leo. We had them involved. Um, we had some members of What Cheer. Um, we had members of many different the what, bands. The What Cheer Brigade is a, they're a giant street marching band. For, for folks who might not know. Thank you for clarifying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So lots of local amazing musicians, which was great. Um, some other projects I'm working on right now. Um, it's funny because I actually I just came to the tail end of several, but 
I have some touring coming up in March. I play with a band called Caliphone, and I think we'll be doing some touring in March. And um, I'm my goal for to, uh, 2020 is to really start working on my own recordings because, awesome. yeah, I have a bunch of things on the back burner, my own recordings, a drum teaching book, and the list, oh, yeah. Yeah, the list goes on. So there's a bunch of things I want to start digging into. Rad. Yeah. I mean, so you... Obviously, you're involved in a bunch of projects. I heard the I was really bummed that I couldn't make the magnetic field show for all all of the reasons that that might be relevant. Yeah. Um, but it seems it sounds like from everyone who attended that it was uh, really, really remarkable and amazing. And obviously, hopefully Maggie, who's a member of our music community um, and just like art, artistic community here is um, someone who's been uh, battling cancer and we're and very quickly and we are hoping that everything um, works out well yes. for her. Yeah, that show was incredible. It was really magical and it actually really made me feel um I, I mean on one level just the whole community coming together to do something positive for this person who is facing this very scary thing and raising money to help her, you know, with all of her medical bills which will keep accumulating. Right. But just the the like I heard um uh, Ted Leo recently just sent me a text and said he felt this feeling of camaraderie and musicianship and providence that he hadn't felt in years. And that made me feel really good. And I, it made me feel like I really want to do more organizing. I'm bringing people oh, together awesome. around musical projects because I feel like trying to find some new opportunities to do that in Providence would be amazing. Yeah. Totally. That sounds great. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm very excited about that prospect. Good. Yeah. So, um, so can you tell me a little bit more about, um, kind of your, a little bit of your musical history, not, you know, I know you've done a lot of cool <laughs> things, but <laughs> yeah. if you want to give, uh, give folks some highlights, that would be awesome. Yeah. My musical, I moved out to Rhode Island from Oregon in 2012. Um, in the past I was involved with bands people might know the Decemberists I played with for about five years they toured with M Ward for about five years um I've done some playing and touring with Mira and Tara Jane O'Neill um and since I uh moved to Providence I've been playing with the Huntress and Holder of Hands I've been playing with a band called Death Vessel and I've been touring on and off with Caliphone I love playing that music I'm probably forgetting things um, I'm and certain I, you're forgetting things. <laughs> <laughs> I work on my own uh, things, which, uh, you know, I play solo and um, do live soundtracks to my animated films. Uh, I've been on and off playing with some other other folks. So um, but in terms of my history, I, be I guess I had been touring and performing um, and recording professionally since about 2001. And then actually I, I burnt out a little bit on touring towards the end of 2011 and slowed down on, on that front. But I still go out and tour sometimes here and there. Yeah. It seems like you do it like every, like at least once a year, sometimes yeah. a couple times a year. Yeah. yeah. Now it's sort of uh, like Caliphone. I love playing. Um, if other opportunities come up that are interesting to me, I'll take them Two years ago, I did a tour with Jessica Hoop and Sam Beam from Iron and Wine. So, and that was just like a one-off. So I'll, I'll do those sorts of things if they come up. But more and more, I'm just really interested in pushing myself musically and spending time with people who I love, you know, collaborating with. Totally. Yeah. So obviously you are predominantly a drummer, but you play 8,000 instruments. Yeah. Um, 
So, <laughs> so we, I, you know, maybe you mm-hmm. want to touch on that a little bit, but yeah. I'd like to actually, at some point I'd like to get into that, but at first I want to actually go back a little bit and yeah. talk maybe a bit about your, um, since we're going to be talking a bit about gear, yeah. what your first drum kit was. Oh, that's a good story actually. So, uh, I actually, st- I started playing drums in the fifth grade when I was 10. My dad was my band teacher and he started me on drums and I, my, I didn't get a kit until I was 13. So before then I was playing, you know, snare and all the things that people play when they're in band. Bells. Um, exactly. Triangle, crash cymbals. Um, when I was 13, my dad decided to get me a drum set. And I remember this so clearly. Obviously, this was back in the day, far before the internet, far before Craigslist. So he looked in our local newspaper in the classifieds. And I remember we drove out to Gresham, Oregon, which is sort of, (laughs) we used to think of that as the boonies, and Mm -hmm. uh, went to this guy's apartment. It's so funny. I remember the apartment, I think, was like full of pot smoke. (laughs) And (laughs) I, you know, and I was a pretty naive kid, sheltered. My dad got me this drum set. That was like a total mixed bag. It had two kick drums. I think it had three floor toms. <laughs> Definitely had four rack toms. And all the heads had like pot leaves and flowers drawn on them. Oh my God. <laughs> and, That's um, amazing. It was a like a red, but all of it was like a red burgundy kind of coloring. Bringing it all together. <laughs> yeah. And we set it up in the basement. I think pretty, I mean, I think early on, I, I didn't have a double kick pedal. I can't remember how I used the second bass drum, but we my, we set it up in the basement. And uh, yeah, that was my first, that was my first drum set. I um, love that. That makes me so happy. And I wonder what happened to it. I don't remember. You know, I don't remember. I think I do. I think at a certain point, I, we might have gotten rid of some of the extra pieces because I think very quickly I started to just play a five piece. And then yeah, I, I, in my mind, <laughs> you just set like three of the to- like rack tom or the uh-huh. uh, floor toms up into like a set of roto toms or something. <laughs> like, I was definitely experimenting with that kind of stuff. <laughs> I think that kit, I brought that kit to college and then actually I know what happened to it. So this is a great story. So I brought it to like a local music shop and I sold it to them. And then I don't know if you ever listened to a band called The Crabs. They were on K Records. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. So Lisa from The Crabs, she was Mm -hmm. just learning drums. I actually gave her a drum lesson in college. She bought those drums. I don't know if she still has them, but that's what happened. See, there you go. Yeah. (laughs) It all comes around. It does. Yeah. So, so what's your kit now then? I mean, obviously you have drawn flowers and pot leaves on it. So whatever it is. <laughs> I sure have. Actually, I did for a while have, I painted on the head of my, so I play, my main kit is a Rogers, a mm-hmm. 67 blue sparkle ho- holiday kit. I got it in 2000. I want to say, okay, I'm going to get the, the year wrong and somebody can look on an album cover to cl- clarify. But I bought it actually when I was in the Decemberists. I bought it before recording the album Picaresque because I just needed something better and different to record with. I think at, before then I had been playing on this Yamaha Premiere or Yamaha for a long time. And so I had painted on the head of that uh, kick drum a crow playing a snare drum. I wanted it to look like an old like bourbon ad from like the 20s. Mm. 
and it was pretty cool. <laughs> but I lost it when I did that in 2007. I did this tour with Bright Eyes, and we all had to wear white. We had projections on us, and I had to replace the head. And it went. They said, I remember they said, "We'll keep this." And then I don't know what happened to it. But anyway. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, my main kit is the yeah the Rogers. I've had it for a long time. I love the way it sounds. It's a big, boomy, beautiful sounding drum kit. The floor tom especially sounds amazing. And then I did have a Leedy Red Sparkle kit that I also played on and off. When I moved out here from Portland, I left it in Portland. It's actually at my friend Corey's recording studio, sitting there waiting for me someday when I want it back. And I actually have a favorite snare that I got in college. Um, and it's a nice, deep Slingerland from the 50s. And I, when I moved out here, actually, my um, former partner runs a recording studio in Portland. I left a lot of gear out there, but I've slowly been sort of shipping it out here but that snare i really want that snare back and then i know i want it and then i have a um i bought another kit about ah, a year and a half ago i've been wanting a small kit Mm -hmm. um just something easy to take around especially because when i play solo i play a lot of other things and i was just tired of lugging yeah (laughs) so much stuff it's real it's is real um, I had all these dreams of like a drum set that you could throw water on and it would magically expand or something. <laughs> but uh, I bought, there's an amazing drum shop in Portland, Oregon called Revival Drum mm-hmm. Shop and a little shout out to them because they're the best. And they uh, collaborated with Ludwig to make this really small kit modeled after the old like bebop kits. It's an 18 inch kick. 12 and oh, 14 cool. rack and floor, but it sounds actually when it's mic'd up, it sounds huge. Awesome. So it's tiny, but it sounds great. And I really like it. So I've used is that it, recently. Is it like uh longer, I guess, no, depth, is it, it or deeper, I guess? It's not, it's mm-hmm. still the same dimension as, you know, a typical kick drum, but it's just and a I smaller dimension. I don't entirely understand the physics of kick drums. Like if you make it deeper, versus wider like how that affects yeah. the sound it really but... depends on the wood also mm-hmm. it depends on the wood and the layering of the wood that makes so sense. yeah yeah so certain woods are denser and so they're not as resonant other woods have like bigger cellular structure so they're more resonant yeah i know it's the same for like acoustic guitars for example mm-hmm. you know yeah. like yeah like maple kits for are like real they're supposed to be more punchy right exactly yeah yeah, yeah. so yeah cool yeah. It's funny because I used to not be a gearhead. And in fact, I was proud of it. And uh-huh. I would say like, I don't, I just play, you know, I'm just, mm-hmm. I'm a musician, but it's as I've, well, especially at, I guess like spending more time doing this and teaching, mm-hmm. you know, I'm still not, there's some people who are just so nerdy about gear. They seem to focus on that versus the musicality of right. playing, but I have definitely gotten more you know, there's things I love and things I like and things I notice for sure. My ears gotten more attuned to those things. Yeah. I think it's, it's like, you're able to be like, oh, this is this, whatever this piece of gear is, it makes it more fun to play it. Oh yeah, absolutely. I had an interesting experience recently. The Huntress and Holder of Hands played a show in Portsmouth, New Hampshire with the Mesthetics, which Mm -hmm. is, uh, Brendan Canty and Joe, um, why am I forgetting his last name from, you know, Fugazi. Yeah. And that was a great show. Those guys are great. And I played Brendan's kit and he has this big old, um, 
what uh, a Gretsch, an like an eighties Gretsch, mm-hmm. which I normally wouldn't even feel interested in, but I sat down behind this kit and it played itself. Whoa. It was crazy. I, I was, I yeah. Afterwards, I was. Was like, it like a twenty-two? Twenty-two or twenty-four? I, no, it was not a twenty-four. It couldn't have been a twenty-four, <laughs> but it was huge. It was a twenty-two and like a thirteen, sixteen. Maybe it was a 24. It felt a lot bigger than the kits I've been playing. Interesting. And it sounded so good and it just played itself. You know, I don't know if you've experienced. I definitely have experienced that. Like that's something I think about a lot is like how different instruments inspire you to play differently as well. Yeah. 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 It feels like different instruments have, they, they come with their own set of things that you interact with. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a. It's a wild world out there. It is. <laughs> it is. Um, so as far as like, you know, you ha- I know you've had a lot of different experiences across like different types of art. So yeah. music in particular, I'm thinking about like what have your experiences with music and gender and your uh, all of your identity has been related to your experience with gear? Oh, that's interesting. Right. So um Let's see if I rephrase it. So what? how has my experience with gender and, and gear and being a musician, what are, you know, how has that manifested, I guess? Yeah, I guess like, yeah. like, have you had experiences where you're like, okay, I feel like my gender or some other identity might be really present in my interaction that I'm uh, having with, some, yeah. with someone else around gear? Yeah, that's a, yeah, interesting question. I were actually... I remember when I first moved to Providence, you and I talked about that a little bit. Mm. And I felt, I realized, so Portland was sort of a bubble. I did have one uncomfortable experience once going into a music store to buy something and somebody's saying something dumb like, oh, you're getting that for your boyfriend. And I was like, no, it's for me. But that only happened once out there, Mm -hmm. only once, which is, I think other people have had much different experiences. I think I say it's a bubble just because when I was out there in my music world, there was gender equity, not necessarily in one scene, but across the scenes. Mm. But touring, definitely I've had a lot of experiences, I guess maybe specifically over the years where, you know, playing a show, somebody assumes that you don't know what you're doing when you're setting up your gear. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it, hopefully that's answering your question. I remember the first time I toured in Europe in 2001, a band I was in um, Norfolk and Western went on a tour opening for Sparkle Horse. Mm-hmm. And that was actually my first outside of like more like regional local West coast touring. That was my first like big tour. Mm-hmm. Um, we were on a tour bus. I remember in one venue, this guy kept trying to grab the hardware out of my hand to, to set it up. And I was so mad. I probably got a little like stabby with it. <laughs> like <laughs> just, uh, you know, really pissed off. I was like, what was he I, trying to do? I, th- I don't know. And you know, it's so this, it's, this was in Italy. It, there's just so much machismo out there. Uh. So I've experienced, especially in those places like touring in Spain or Italy, like a lot of um, strain, unless it was, you know, in a squat kind of situation where there's, you know, where people are, they think like we do. Mm-hmm. Um, but in other, you know, clubs, I definitely experienced uh, people assuming that I wasn't 
able to somehow manipulate or set up my gear. Yeah. Um, so, so that sort of thing. And then, you know, also being really aware of people offering to help you carry your gear. Yeah. Which, interestingly, when I was younger, it pissed me off. I'd get so angry. And as I got older, I was like, sure, if you want to carry it in, go ahead. <laughs> I mean, let's <laughs> work for me in a way. But, but it really, you know, yeah, I, I, there was a lot of moments of feeling really angry around that. Another, another thing that I, you know, really realized there was one moment on Death Vessel did a tour back in, um, how was this like, we were trying to figure out when this was, I think it was 2014, maybe. And we, we had this show in Prague and all of the crew were, um, uh, women. Whoa. And the vibe was so good That's amazing. and so much better and so much different, you know, and you really just realize just in terms of like setting up your gear and being on stage and being asked questions about what you need. There's just a different, you know, better, in my opinion, vibe. Not to say that I, you know, I haven't had experiences with lots of like kind and non-judgmental, non-gender focused dude folks cis dude folks in places yeah. but yeah is yeah yeah i've had a like i feel like the the caring thing is very interesting mm-hmm. uh you just as you're saying it's like you know because you're like i can care you know like i thought a lot about the fact that you know if a mom is carrying her child right and like and like groceries or something nobody's like, gonna offer to help nobody's gonna they're like oh that's just what <laughs> you do but if right. you're carrying like an amplifier or a kick drum people are like oh little lady yeah you know that still does help i just actually the other day i was actually was when i was um loading in to the columbus for the magnetic fields thing Hmm. some guy walked by on the sidewalk and was like do you need help and i was like Mm -hmm. no (laughs) i don't need help (laughs) yeah and it's like yeah and i think it's fine it's like people are trying to be nice but totally it's just it's still the reciprocity of that like if you would he have offered if you were as this guy. I always think that too. Actually, it was yeah. interesting. My husband was has a band called Velvet Crush. Mm-hmm. And just, a, I, guess, I guess that was this summer in July. They did a whole bunch of shows around the area. And the guys all stayed at our house. And when they were getting ready to load out, I offered to help. Because that's what I do. When I see gear, sure, like I can't sit around. You know, I'm like, I jump in and help move the gear. And they're like, oh, you don't need to help. And I was like, you know, Jeffrey helps me load out all the time. So I'm going to help you guys load out. Mm-hmm. And I immediately, of course, assume like I got actually a little upset <laughs> because I was like, fuck you. <laughs> or <laughs> can we say that on this podcast? Sure. Um, yes. Cool. Uh, I, I also I think there's been moments where I have gotten where I've assumed something was gender related and I got pissy about it. Mm-hmm. And the person's intention wasn't that. Yeah, and it's really tricky. You know what I mean? Right. It's hard. It's like it's I think it's hard for folks because like it's like you if you've had that many that experience X amount of times. Right. You you kind of go in anticipating that that's what's going to happen. And it's almost like there's a few people who are ruining it for people who have good intentions. And totally. Totally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Why do you be that way? Why? Exactly. Why? <laughs> yeah. Uh, people. People. So people. people, right? Am I right? <laughs> uh, so you have been playing 
in a lot of you've had a lot of different experiences playing like from like local shows to touring to solo versus touring with your own bands versus touring with other people's bands versus yeah. all these different kind of environments. I wonder if there's been a difference with that. And I would even say like with the different experiences related to gender in those spaces. You touched on it a little bit already. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. So and actually as I've gotten older and had more experiences, it causes me to reflect differently upon the previous experiences and change my mind about maybe what I was feeling at the time in certain instances, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So just like looking back, I mean, for a long time, I was often the only female person in a lot of the bands I played in. Mm -hmm. And I just was so used to that being the case. I didn't really think about it. So, I mean, let's see, let me think, go back. So like my first band out of college i was in this band called sissy face we sounded <laughs> kind of we were like really into husker do uh-huh. it was fast and loud but with like lots of uh harmony singing over that kind of yeah that's the husker do reference that was actually two women and one dude and yeah i guess at that time a lot the scene i was in there it was like there were a lot of women in bands a lot mm-hmm. um as i started doing more touring professionally once I got, um, I'm thinking about like, you know, when I, I guess when I was like out with Decemberist, I mean, there is another, there was Jenny, uh, who plays keys in the band. There was the two of us. I think early on in the band, um, we didn't, I think we appreciated each other, but we also had both been used to just being in bands with a lot of dudes. Mm-hmm. We didn't really think about it so much. I don't think at that time, and I still don't think that I ever felt anything related to gender mm-hmm. or in that way later on um having the experience of being in the hunters and holder of hands which is all or uh, almost entirely not all sorry chris um <laughs> female identifying people and that experience made me realize how there were some differences even though i didn't think that there were Mm. Does that make sense? Yes. I don't know if I'm yeah. articulating yeah, well, clearly. Yeah, I think that there's all these different dynamics at play, right? So there's mm-hmm. the dynamic of like the percentage of like cis women, trans, right. gender expansive folks in the band. Uh, there's like, are you playing locally versus touring? There's totally. like, how well known is your band? Like all of those All dynamics. of those factors. I totally agree. And I think, you know, when I think about touring, one of the things that I think about that makes it enjoyable is just like the camaraderie, looking out for each other, taking care of each other, you know, the sort of one for all and all for one element, mm-hmm. which is interesting to me. I I feel like across, I mean, I guess in some of the bigger situations, I, we were so well taken care of that I didn't have to, con- I didn't think about that piece of it. Mm-hmm. But in touring with like um, in like VM tours and like, you know, smaller tours, smaller, mean just like smaller clubs and things sort of across the gender board. It hasn't met. You know, I feel like sometimes I've had to speak out regardless of who what the makeup of the band was to just say, hey, this is an important part of this thing. So that's been interesting to me because I think I (laughs) wrongly assumed that if the band was mostly non dudes, that there would be that sort of me falling into a stereotype right. and assumption. And, yeah. you know, I realized like, even with the, like when we, I was with the hunters, I remember one night 
we were all loading out and then everybody was done and they were all drinking and I was still like slogging with the drums. And I was like, Hey guys, <laughs> there's this thing that, you know, I've experienced with lots of bands and this is important actually that uh-huh. not that, you know, I'm going to help you and you help me, but let's all be done together. Yeah. Let's do it as a team. It's part yeah. of the team aspect of yeah. being in a band. Yeah. Yeah. That was like a stare. I think a stereotype I uh, projected onto assuming mm. that things would, do, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Bands. Yeah. Um. All right. So I want to scoot in to a, a bit more of a conversation back to to gear specifically, not yeah. just carrying it, but yeah, <laughs> but <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, although that is so much of gear is carrying it. It's, 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 it feels really. overwhelming. Uh, but I want to talk a little bit about your experience, like buying gear. Okay. Um, and maybe like sure. good experiences, bad experiences and like what made them good or bad. Okay. Sure. Good experiences, you know, going into a place and, uh, feeling entirely respected and not self-conscious at all about how I appear or identify, but just that I'm a drummer, not Mm -hmm. associated with any gender. And I've had a lot of those experiences. Thank, thankfully, you know, I, I, again, I'll bring up like revival drum shop in Portland. When I lived there, that was a place where we all just kind of hung out. Mm -hmm. Lots of drummers hanging out (laughs) And that's, that's the fun thing about music stores. Oh my God. Yeah. So great. And when I go back there, I go in it and hang out. <laughs> I've only, I've only been there once. They were very nice. It's pretty great. Yeah. And so, you know, that's a place where, you know, and, and I've had other experiences like that. Shout out to the village drum shop in Situate, Rhode Island. Mm-hmm. Those guys are so great. I sent all my students there. They're so mm-hmm. supportive and completely wonderful. And, you know, and again, you know, very, I feel always incredibly respected there, incredibly. But then, of course, I've had other experiences. I went into, I won't name names. I went into <laughs> a, a drum shop, you know, maybe a year and a half ago, actually. Oh, maybe it was a couple of years ago out here. And this place has like, I mean, like, it's a treasure trove of vintage drums, like unbelievable, like these mountains of like, beautiful old drums. A lot of them are like half broken, but I was thinking, oh man, I could come in here and put kits together for my students or for other people. Cause there's all these like disparate pieces, but they're all beautiful and old. Mm-hmm. I love, I like vintage drums. I love vintage drums. And the guy was like, basically could sort of said like, do you know how to do that? Or I mean, he just, you know, he didn't know me or anything, but he just immediately assumed that I was incapable (laughs) instead of saying, Oh, that would be amazing. That would be great. You know? And so I said, see you later. (laughs) That's a bummer. (laughs) This would be cool, but I just got a real grumpy negative vibe. And again, my experience too, like back in Portland ages ago of walking into a place, I was buying drumsticks and the guy was like, Oh, you're getting a present for your boyfriend. This was back in my like early thirties. And I was like, no, I'm not actually, I'm buying them for myself. I feel like the, bo- the buying, buying for your boyfriend is like, I don't know how it's not part of training because yeah. I feel like it is the, the number one most common thing that I hear from folks uh-huh. is yeah. like that that is the thing that they get told more than anything else. That's so, and does that still happen a lot? I think so. God, that's so crazy. Yeah. It is crazy to me. I feel I have felt a little 
I will say this, like, you know, when I've been touring around the U.S. and I go sometimes into like a random music store or guitar center or whatever, I do immediately feel like a little bit of a, a armor go up. Yeah. Like, okay, I'm prepared to deal with some asshole who's going to say some dumb thing and I have to be ready with a comeback. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, right. and, and that's a bummer to have to feel that instead of just going into a place to buy something. Like you don't feel like that when you're going to buy butter. Or <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> There's something you need yes. in your life. Anyway. Um, yeah. So, that's a bummer that still happens. It's crazy to me that people wouldn't consider it. It's so interesting to me. Like we just got the new guitar center catalog in the mail mm-hmm. and actually there's a ton of non dudes in it. Mm-hmm. I was like, Holy smoke. Yeah. Their, their marketing is getting a lot better. I think but it's, I will say it is getting better and they're yeah. really trying. It still felt a little tokeny to me. Sure. Yeah. Right. But at least they're trying but I, I'm excited for the day when we don't have to say at least they're trying. Yeah, I think that's like, yeah, it's like we're, we're just waiting for like, because it's been, I think people have had so many bad experiences there mm-hmm. over the years. Like mm-hmm. I know for me, and I go there, you know, if I need something, at, you know, at the last minute, I definitely go there. And I know people who work there who are very nice and, mm-hmm. and you know, and have like good intentions for sure. But it's it's just interesting because I think like pe- it's like people have had so many cumulative experiences and there's like this cultural narrative around it and just because it's a corporation I feel like people have are more it's it's more easy to be skeptical of intent. Um, oh of, yeah, I agree uh, with uh, that from the corporation standpoint. I think people get a little bit frustrated with that. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Moving moving right along, we're getting there. Okay. So. Side eyeing my dog making noise in the other room. She's cool. She's cool. Your dog is cool. <laughs> I'm wondering if maybe there's like something gear related that you're like, oh my god, I wish there was something that I knew more about. Oh, there's yeah, because you because you know a lot about a lot of different instruments. So I'm wondering if you're like, there's this one thing that I haven't really like gotten into that I'd like to get into. Oh, you mean like a different instrument or just a different Any piece type of equipment? Of equipment or gear or something? Yeah. That you, like, yeah. Absolutely. So actually recently for the 69 Love Songs show, I decided to use an electronic drum pad mm. for some of the songs. And I have one in the house and it's like not a fancy version of it. It's like a cheap version. But I've been, you know, I have a lot of friends who tour with those SPDXs. Yeah, and the Rollins. Yeah, yeah. And I've been thinking for a while about getting one. I, I would love to get into one. Um, yeah. Sometimes I'm a little bit, it's funny because I'm not a technophobe and I'm also a technophobe. <laughs> so like I can sit down and like I just taught myself After Effects to do this, you know, animated music video for this band Eyelids. So an After Effects is really complex. But then like I think about getting a electronic electronic drum pad and I think, but I can just hit my drums and it's <laughs> you know, the analog version is I don't have to plug anything in. But what um, if you hit one of your drums and you programmed it to sound like a cat meowing? Oh, that would be amazing. See? That's the other thing is triggers. I've never used triggers. I have been experimenting with contact mics on my drums and pedals. Mm. And I do that a lot when I play solo and that's fun, but 
Recently, this woman, Pippi Zarnoza, which mm-hmm. who we know, who's an amazing drummer artist who is part of the Dirt Palace here in Rhode Island, which is- Plays in anything. a band called Retrix as well. Yes. Um, she's been taking lessons from me, which is so fun. That's and awesome. I didn't know that. Yeah. We're having a good time. She's so awesome. And she uses triggers, and I've never used triggers- and none of the bands I've played in have necessarily, except for Death Vessel, I was using an electronic drum pad to trigger some interesting sounds for that band and contact mics with pedals because I needed something that sounded unusual. And I love experimenting with sounds. But anyway, I think I would like to foray into that world a little bit. I love keyboards. I'm kind of a synth head. And I don't necessarily, yeah, I think... Getting like I have a microcorg that I mm-hmm. use, but to be honest, I haven't really dove in, dove deep into programming programming my own sounds. I mean, I affect the sounds that are there. I'd like to do that more. So that kind of gear. I mean, there's a lot of st- stuff. I you know what I'd really like is do you know those OP ones by Teenage Engineering? Oh yeah, yes, the little uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I really <laughs> those they're are like so little cool. they're like little baby synth. They do uh, everything. Yeah. They do. You can like sample radio sounds. Ooh, I didn't it's know It's got a four track. It makes a sandwich. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> and then they have, they have the new one, like controls lighting. And I've been, so I've been doing this, this interactive art, art installation thing. I did it at the RISD museum and I just recently did it twice at New Bedford Art Museum where I have drawing surfaces different resonance services like metal wood basically like recycled materials like a cookie sheet and a piece of wood hooked up to a contact mic mm-hmm. and then people draw they make drawings on a piece of paper on top of that and the contact mic's going into a mixing board which goes into pedals so i'm controlling those pedals and so their their marks are making sound and then that sound is being moved into my computer where i have this max program that a friend gave me that is uh, reactive to volume of sound. So there's a projection that happens that's reactive to the sound. It's really cool. I call it space is the place. That's I know wild. that I took that from Sunra, but to <laughs> me, it really, I, it says what it's supposed to be about, which is finding this space and this interact. It's interactive and it's really fun and interesting. And I'd love to deep dive more into that and get sound that manipulates like colors and animation and lights and, that kind of stuff yeah right and it's like a visual artist too like I feel like you're able to use your technology and gear to like kind of provide that interactive experience that has both music and visual uh, components in a really uh, cool way so yeah I'd like to deep dive more into that and even be fun to like create like museum exhibits that are interactive for people I'd like to so just like extrapolating from just music gear that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. yeah yeah I'd also really like to learn bass Ooh, I'm sure you can play bass. I can actually, I, Jeffrey and I jam sometimes and he's like, you, you could be a really good bass player. I feel like I could be, but it's one of those things where I just like, I do it like once every six months. Right. So maybe I yeah. should do a uh, uh, riot adult camp. Yeah. Uh-huh. I Basically. feel like riot being the new uh, girls rock Rhode Island. Mm-hmm. For, I'm so into that. Yeah. So yeah, which is super awesome. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think drummers transitioning to bass players is such like mm-hmm. a natural thing. I agree. Um, yeah. Yeah. Makes a lot yeah. of sense. Whereas like yeah. me as like a guitar player, when I play bass, I'm like, oh, I'm just, I'm just playing guitar. 
a bass like a guitarist like right I feel like playing bass like a drummer is actually really cool right yeah yeah so I'm wondering too because you also you were talking a little bit about for your your setup that you use for Arch Cape with the drums Mm -hmm. with the contact mics can you explain Mm -hmm. that a little bit more yeah so basically yeah I usually I have um piezo disc circular contact mics I usually put one on my snare drum, and then I have these Korg clip-on contact mics, which are actually intended for people to use with like a ukulele or violin as a tuner. It goes with a tuning tuner, with an electronic tuner. But the contact mic itself is really cool because it's a clip, so I can mm-hmm. clip it onto my cymbals. And then I also have some other metal percussion instruments, and I'll clip the contact mics onto those as well. And those contact mics are running through delay and looping pedals. So I can get really unusual and interesting sounds with that setup. And it's really fun to loop rhythms using all those sounds. And so, yeah, so with basically with Arch Cape, usually um, it's sort of run the gamut between like being this uh, sort of more ambient kind of experimental percussion music. And then I also love to write pop songs and what I call new wave hits. So I've been struggling for a long time on like, should I call it Rachel Blumberg? Should I call it Arch Cape? Should I, you know, I don't know where one ends and one begins, or is it all the same? But basically I play to films that I've made. So I'm creating a live improvised soundtrack. Sometimes there's some things that have been composed that come in, but so yeah, so I'm playing uh, like a full drum set with these contact mics. And then I usually have a keyboard. I usually have some like thumb piano, pianos, kalimbas, and some other sound things, and even like random bits of metal and wood <laughs> that have interesting sounds. I like to go to the thrift store with a drumstick and hit stuff. Oh my God, so that's I find genius. something that has a good yeah. tone. So I, I like to use that kind of stuff and then create this like really immersive sound. And so, yeah, it's really, it's very rudimentary. It's just contact mic and two, I have a little four channel mixer. So the contact mics and the keyboard, and actually oftentimes I'll sing too. So I have a vocal mic going to this little four channel mixer into the pedals and then out into a DI. I feel like looper, I feel like the thing that's, so obviously that's like a very intensive setup. So mm-hmm. but part of it, too, is just like I feel like you're able to use the looper in a really masterful way, which I feel like like every time you try a looper, it's like, oh, I'm learning a whole new instrument with this oh, with this looper, you know? Yeah. I'm really inspired by, do you know Juana Molina? Yeah. Does everybody mm-hmm. know? Juana Molina is an Argentinian musician. She is amazing. And I think she's, I just love her. She plays, for everybody who doesn't know her, look her up. She plays... Um, guitar and she uses her voice and she hits on her guitar percussively plays keyboards and creates just her music's amazing and I saw her and she was like the first person that I saw that I felt like was using a looping pedal well and interestingly and an artful way because some people can use them and it's just like it feels like a crutch or it's not interesting to me Mm -hmm. but she's what she does is really cool and so yeah I guess I'm inspired by that and using it as a as a tool you know as a another paintbrush kind of thing totally yeah yeah loopers are amazing also Mm -hmm. 
just so complicated sometimes. <laughs> oh my God. I, really? <laughs> I've been wanting to get a new one actually, because the one I have is huge. Mm. Its footprint is so big. That's right. another thing. I'd love to get a new looping pedal. And mm. I've spent, oh my God, I've spent hours. I'm like a total researcher. <laughs> With yeah, everything. no, I'm the same way. It's <laughs> I, I could research everything forever. I know. Make a decision. Yeah. Yeah. Same. Yeah. Have funny. you landed on anything that you're like, this is the one? Um. Well, I recently bought a new delay pedal that has looping capability. It's a Canyon. Oh yeah, yeah. But, mm-hmm. And I love the. Um, I got the little one, and I love the um, delay sound. But the thing with a lot of looping pedals, I also have the Green Line Six. You know the yeah that the one four. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I love that too. But the problem with those two is that you can't manipulate the delays while the looping's happening. Mm. And my the I use my looping pedal that I use as a jam man. Yep. Um, where you can save like so, and you can affect the delay while you loop. To answer your question, no, <laughs> I haven't. <laughs> I think what I want is like a dedicated looper where I can have like maybe two loops going at the same time. Yeah. Um, I haven't landed on it yet. I know a lot of people use the, um, what's it called? It's red with two foot pedals. The RC20. Yeah. A lot of people yeah. use that. Um, the boss RC20. I've, and I think that's ultimately the best thing, but also I've heard that has a lot of noise issues. Mm, so, yeah. I used to have yeah. that one. I think it's like, I, I, I'm a person because I haven't ever actually really learned how to use a looper appropriately. I just mm-hmm. keep getting them and I'm like, I don't know about this. And then I right. get rid of it. <laughs> right. Right. But now I have a, a TC uh, X4. Yeah. Oh, yeah, X4. Yeah, yeah. And that has, allows yeah. the two separate, you can have it synced up or that they trigger one oh, cool. or something. And yeah. you like that one a lot? It's fun. Yeah, totally. Cool. I mean, I don't cool. have a project that I'm actually using it in to learn it well enough, but if you want to borrow <laughs> yeah. it, you're welcome to. Okay, cool. I might take you up on that. Cool. Cool. So scooting towards, we're getting towards the end of the conversation here. Okay. And I wanted to kind of like get to a couple of just quick closing questions. One of them being like, if you had like in, in an ideal world, like what would, what would a world look like or, a, you know, how could we provide recommendations to the music industry or music gear industry to make changes? Like what would you, if you were talking to somebody who actually had like real pull, what would you want to see them do? In terms of gender equity? Yeah, gender equity, equity, diversity in general, yeah. Yeah, I would say erase all the notions you have of music and dudism. (laughs) (laughs) Like just change, you know, you could totally change like imagine a store where you would walk in and you would feel like it was all for you, no matter who you are. I would say make that, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so, because, um, and don't assume that people have a non-ability or ability. Like, first of all, like a very practical thing, train your workers to assume that anybody coming in the store is like a professional, knowledgeable human. And if they have questions, you know, find a way to answer their questions in a way that's respectful and assuming that they're a smart, capable person. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, basically. And change all of the, I mean, the magazines that exist. Actually, this is cool. Janet Weiss, wonderful drummer, a friend of mine, recently wrote to a drum magazine online 
I can't remember who it was, one of the drum magazines, mm-hmm. and said, I just looked at your site and I don't see a single non-dude. Mm. So just there are a lot of people in the world who will play music who are not cis dudes a lot. Yeah. And so you've got to start making an effort to represent everyone who's playing, make the effort. And maybe we'll take a little effort because you're trained to, you're conditioned to think one way, but you have to uncondition. Mm-hmm. I think that's really important. Yeah, yeah. Putting in, putting in the work. Yeah. Put the work in, put the yeah. work in. And I feel like there are a lot of people who are already doing that. So kudos to them. That's totally. Uh, uh, fabulous yeah and tom tom um, obviously is great like tom tom yeah oh my god i but... can't believe i haven't shouted out tom tom <laughs> i used to write for them mm-hmm. and i haven't in a long time i love tom tom i keep a stack of tom toms in the little waiting area of my drum teaching studio shout out to them shout out to she shreds mm-hmm. which sure. is so great yeah so it's great that there's these magazines and it's they're important but I am excited for the world where it's sort of for everyone, you know, for right. everyone. And that's a that's a utopian ideal. Well, but hopefully we can get there, you know, one step at a time. It's going to I think it's like people are willing to put in the effort. To yeah. Make sure that people feel supported and included in their. Spaces. Yes, yeah. I agree. And I think if we can do that in our music community, maybe it will uh, infiltrate the larger the community at large too, because obviously our whole system is based on a patriarchal system that's toxic. So hopefully maybe our music world will, um, I mean, everybody loves music, right? And people look up to musicians. So also the, the, I feel like musicians who are well-known and well-regarded and famous, good for them to use their voices to help speak out for these kinds of changes. 100%. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Awesome. Okay. So I've got two last questions for you. One is who else do you think I should interview? Ooh, that's a cool question. Gosh, I could give you a list, (laughs) a really long list. I'm certain. Okay. I think you should talk to just musicians in general. Yeah. About okay. anybody you think I should talk to, it could be musicians, it could be people who are like are like a custom somebody who makes custom snares, like somebody who oh, yeah. you know, like whatever. So, uh, re- okay, works in a guitar shop, whatever. Like Rochelle Rosencrantz, mm-hmm. she makes guitars. She's amazing. She makes all kinds of crazy things. I was just at her studio. Yeah, and if I think of other people, I'll send you an email because it would Perfect. be cool for you to interview people who make drums. Mm-hmm. But I don't, I, I guess I don't know that many makers other than, yeah, I don't. I don't know a lot of custom drum makers either. So if you, yeah. if, if anybody knows custom drum makers, send them yeah. my way. Yeah. Yeah. But I know plenty of musicians who it would be great to, you'd probably have great conversations with and it'd be great to talk to about these things. Yeah. I mean, I would, yeah, for sure. Thank great. you. You're welcome. Uh, so, uh, so Rachel Bloomberg, thank you so much for being on Midriff. I'm super psyched about this conversation. As always, I'm always excited to talk to you. But I do have, I want you to have a way for uh, listeners to stay in contact with you or sure. a place where they can go and hear more about you or hear your music. Sure. My website is www.rachelbloomberg.com. They can go to my website. Um, and that's where my solo music is. In terms of finding other musics, if you look up or things that I've done, the Huntress and Holder of Hands, 
I have played on their last record. If you want to hear old things, I'm trying to remember if I have a discography on my website to hear old things. I'm on a several Amord records and December's records and or Gibson records, but I guess basically I'm not I. I'm not terribly great about keeping my website <laughs> updated and I should be better. How about any social media or anything like that? Yeah, oh no? yeah. I do yeah, have okay. Instagram. Okay. I do have, I don't, I, I sort of loathe social media. I'm on Facebook, but I hardly use it. So I would say the best place is Instagram cool. and I'm the T H E E Rachel Blumberg, R A C H E L B L U M B E R G. Yeah. Cool. And that's basically the best place to find me. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. So we'll, I'll make sure to put that in the show notes too so people can can find you. Fabulous. Cool. Yeah. All right, Rachel, you're the best. Thanks so thank much. Thank you. Have you're an the awesome best. Th- day. Thank, thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Lovely. So great to talk to Rachel. What a great conversation. I just want to talk to her all day long and that's just what it is. So I, I do want to, stop on one thing for a moment. I feel like the point that she had made is specifically around when you walk into a music store, feeling a bit of an armor go up and that that's not necessarily about anybody who's particularly working in that store, that it's maybe connected to previous experiences and that there are certain people who are maybe like making it bad for other folks. And it's unfortunate that that is the case that some folks come into those spaces with that armor and it's, it's a real bummer, uh, honestly. And it's like, yeah, you don't feel like that when you're going to buy butter. So if you are a retailer and you want your customers to have a positive experience, I think thinking about like, how do you make folks not have that armor? What does that look like to train people to not like to feel like comfortable in that space instead of having feeling like you're coming in there to like get in a fight or start jousting or something. <laughs> so I think that even if you are a not a retailer, let's say you are a manufacturer and your products are in the spaces, in retail spaces, thinking about how you can help to to support them in providing a positive environment for your customers. I think that's like so key. And I don't know how much that's really discussed. So, you know, it's one thing that they're selling your products, but if they're not doing a good job representing your values, then that's a problem. So I just wanted to take a second to, to sit with that. So, yeah. So coming up, you know, we have a lot of other great interviews, which you will obviously be privy to if you subscribe um, or follow on uh, Instagram or Facebook. I also wanted to mention once again that if you want to complete the uh, gender and music year survey that I have uh, on my website, you can do that. It will just take it'll take probably about 15 minutes or so. But it's so, so important in a future episode. I will be sharing out that data. And I want to get as many people as possible to get as a a wide representation of folks uh, a part of that conversation as possible. So that is something that's coming up. I also would love if you have any questions about gear, about uh, gender and music gear, anything related to these topics, please uh, shoot me a message. I'll do my best to answer it or I will find someone who can answer it for you. So I am uh, looking forward to the upcoming weeks and upcoming interviews, and I'll see you on the internet.